Hello and welcome to another edition of the NMA podcast, Planning People. I'm Jack Gilbert, news editor at NMA, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jackie Boylan, the chief executive of Fidelity's Funds Network platform. Jackie, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Um, so if anyone out there who's not aware, Jackie is Australian, if I'm not mistaken, and came over to the UK uh, to work at Funds Network Platform in 2017. Um, so I guess my first question is, is, is how, well, how have you found your time at Funds Network, but also how have you found your time living here in the UK for the last three years? Yeah, well, living in London, I've, I've absolutely loved it. And I must admit, I was slightly hesitant um, leaving sunny Sydney, um, beachside Sydney uh, for the UK. But I came across uh, in late 2016 for a quick visit and it was December, it was quite mild and it was Christmas and, you know, it was really romantic and I, I was just sold within about two days of being here. And and ever since, we've had a great time. I've got two young daughters and they're, they're totally British already. I get corrected with my terminology all of the time and I love being close to, to everything, to Europe. I love the culture and the the art and the theatre, and I'm not particularly arty or, or theatre-going, but I, I love the access to that. Um, so it's been amazing. And from a Fidelity Funds Network perspective, uh, it's such a lovely business to work with and I didn't, I've never worked for a private company before and it does have such a range of benefits and I love being able to, to look more strategically, to think more strategically and not have that pressure of having to have short-term returns from your investment, which sometimes actually aren't best for clients and, and actually aren't best for shareholders. So that's been, um, it's been amazingly rewarding to work in a business like Fidelity. Brilliant. And I think, if I'm not mistaken as well, that this year marks the Funds Network's 20th year anniversary. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly right. And I must admit, 20 in 2020 hasn't turned <laughs> out exactly how we expected. Um, so we, we, we did have a raft of, of, you know, client interactions and lots of thank yous and lots of events, you know, with our CEO and that kind of thing. So obviously that hasn't been able to be, to be continued, but we will try to, to do all of that in 2021. But, yeah, Thanks, really but proud that. Yeah, a big birthday party coming. It, absolutely, absolutely. It, it, yeah, I'm, I'm proud that we've been around for, for 20 years and, and, you know, definitely plan to be around for at least another 20 as well. Great, yeah. So it was actually CityWire's 20th anniversary last year. Um, so we, just just a little bit ahead of you. But also in 2019, it didn't have as much of a ring to it as 2020. Um, did. So yeah, congrats. Happy birthday, I guess. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure I'm as close to, to 20 as Funds Network is. <laughs> well, not far away, Jackie. Yeah. Um, and um, I guess something else I wanted to ask was just, you know, you've obviously been around for 20 years now, Funds Network as a platform. It's, you know, one of the most like long-established in the UK market. Um, just kind of how you see yourselves in the market um, in terms of the platform space. Do you kind of see yourselves as one of the the innovators, like the disruptors or one of the kind of the more long-standing kind of bigger bigger players out there? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think by by virtue of the fact we've been around for 20 years and we're one of the first platforms in the market, you do get put into the longer standing, bigger, because we are one of the biggest platforms category. And 
we've definitely been on a mission to try and shake that up a bit over the last 18 months, you know, being more innovative, ensuring that we're utilising the partnerships that we have to look at technology solutions, integrating, um, particularly with our bigger clients, we've developed quite a lot of bespoke integrations into their back office systems. So whilst, yes, we are definitely deemed to be a bigger player and probably one of the the longer standing ones, um, it's not, I don't want to be pigeonholed as the... um, the big old platform, I suppose. We definitely, you know, want to reinvent ourselves and make sure that people understand all of the great new things that we've been doing. Yeah. And I guess, and then we've obviously been had some changes in recent years in terms of the, the new technology, um, with the new platform tech, new platform you guys have got on Bravira. Um, just wondering, yeah, just wondering how, how kind of that replatforming project was going. And and if it's if it's over, is there still stuff going on or is this is this is this kind of can we call it call it a day for this replatforming now? Yeah, so so it it has been. We we did take the um, slow but steady approach to to replatforming, um, as you probably well know. Um, so we did start with the kind of ISA and GIA side, and we finished uh, the pension side last year. So that has been you know a, a big piece of work. Um, we we I, I I think anyone that replatforms would say to you it's a big job and is it ever finished because you, you always want to enhance what you've done. So I think that's probably key. Yes, the bulk of it has been done, but, you know, are there things that we want to improve and continue to tweak and enhance? Absolutely. And the focus for us is also ensuring that the front end um, and where advisors interact and even their clients is now as intuitive, you know, as easy to use as kind of 2020 as it can be. So that's where we're actually putting a lot of focus now. Mm. So do you think advisors can will look out for more kind of enhancements, changes to things on the front end as we go on? Yeah, absolutely. We have started and we're delivering in slices, so it's not too much of a shock for everyone because even though, you know, we've had feedback and, you know, we do listen to it and uh, that it could be easier to use, Despite that, if you do change something, then you get the feedback of, oh, at least I knew how it worked before. So we have been delivering it slowly. And most importantly, we've been doing it with advisors. So we have not designed anything sitting in the office. We have done so much research, so many design iterations, and then we've tested and piloted and given advisors the ability to give us online feedback, you know, so straight away, hang on, this is missing or this button doesn't feel right. So that's that's a big piece of work where we're probably 40% through it. So probably over the 18 months, we'll continue to roll that out and change it with advice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, has, has lockdown kind of impacted that at all in terms of not, I guess, because before this coronavirus business came along, we were kind of, you know, we, we, you guys I'm sure were out and about going to IFA's offices and, and seeing them face to face and showing them things. But I guess now it's obviously, you know, Zoom and everything. So I mean, has that kind of impacted the way you've been able to roll this the new front end and back office out? Uh, yeah, it, it has impacted how we research and test. But interestingly enough, it's been quite positive because it's easier to get and connect with people over Zoom, whereas before if we were saying, can we come and sit in your office for an hour, you're more likely to get, oh, I'm really busy. In lockdown, we found more people are more open to being able to do a Zoom conversation or a Zoom test. So, And, and it's actually enabled us to get further around the UK, 
you know, so people, we, we can access anyone basically. So that's been really positive too, that we've got a, a broader range of advisors and their staff to help us test what we've been doing. Mm, that sounds, sounds really positive, definitely. Um, and I guess so the, the reception from advisors to the replatforming, obviously they kind of it's it's quite a dirty word in many respects, but but I mean how how is the reception being kind of to date in terms of fidelity to replatform? Yeah, do, do you know it's interesting that you're you're talking about it because for me it does feel like it it has been done for a while. I think um the, the reception absolutely has been positive. And if, if I look at our our client scores, so we do NPS. Uh, you know, relationship scores and how much an advisor would, you know, recommend us. Um, and the scores have gone up significantly since the re-platforming. So if I use that as an indicator, and it is a key indicator that we use for client satisfaction or advisor satisfaction, I would have to say it has been absolutely positive. And in terms of the new technology, the, the new reviewer technology, I mean, what are the kind of major benefits that advisors can, can, can see out of this and the kind of the, the new, uh, what, what, what benefit does it give to, to advisors who are kind of using the platform out there? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the back-end technology doesn't always necessarily provide um, a visible benefit to an advisor. You know, it's more providing a really solid foundation, something that can be easily added to, for example, uh, something that is scalable, something that you benefit from if other um, platforms have it as well. So, you know, when you're building, it doesn't cost as much. Uh, so, I, I, so I think advisors understanding that they've got a really solid foundation platform behind the funds network business is, is obviously really important. I think what's more important to advisors is, how do they interact with you? So it is more that front end piece that I was talking about before. You know, does it provide you a different functionality? Possibly. Um, for, for us, it did provide a consistent system and experience, whether you're using or investing via GIA and ISA or SIP. So we did have them on two platforms before. So that gives a much better experience for advisors and their clients. But as I said, I think truly what makes a difference to advisors is, is the front end that they interact with and their staff, obviously, because quite often they're the ones interacting with it. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. But I guess it was kind of replatforming is it kind of, it's, it's, it's necess necessary, like a necessity, isn't it, in, in so many cases, because because the technology, the old technology is just kind of, there, there is a, a timeline, like kind of a shelf life there, right? Yeah, I must admit, technology is not my... Um, my key forte, but I would say that there is absolutely shelf life with technology. And, and what happens is as it ages, it just costs more and more to change things. And, and, and you will, you know, probably like anything, whether it's a car or an aeroplane or what have you, you know, that there comes a point where it's better to replace and get the upgraded version than continually trying to tweak and change and amend the original version. And that's where we got to, you know, after 18 years or so, you know, of using the same systems, you realise you've really got to upgrade and get a more solid foundation. But hopefully, you know, that will last us for another 20 years or so. No, yeah, I'm sure it will. I mean, it has been, it's obviously you're not the only ones out there doing it. So we've got, you know, loads of other platforms who are kind of going through the same process and, and have been in a different kind of st stages of that journey, although most of them are kind of coming to an end soonish. Um, I mean, I, like, how do you think that the platform market is going to kind of change from here? 
Um, you know, I guess a lot of the repacking has been done. COVID has obviously had a bit of an impact in, in many respects. Um, but just, just wondering what your thoughts on, on where the platform market in the UK goes from here. Yeah, well, I think that the technology one is interesting when you look at the recent decision around uh, FNZ and GBST not being able to merge. Um, yeah, Competition Market Authority. Yeah, yeah. So I think that is... It'll be interesting what the next steps are around that. Uh, so I, I think more broadly from a platform perspective you know, 16 or so platforms, is that sustainable? It's always a discussion around whether there's going to be more activity. We definitely know that there's some platforms open to being sold um, or acquired or, you know, looking for partners. I do think that we will see a change in terms of ownership and in terms of the number of platforms However, it is such a, a great industry in the sense of the distribution opportunities that it offers. I expect we might see more, you know, M&G type examples of people wanting to get into the industry, um, particularly if they see it as a way to distribute, you know, possibly their, their products via the platform. Asset managers kind of. Quite possibly, yeah. I, I, I mean, I... I I don't know for sure, but, you know, lots of discussion around the pre-fund, you know, being a reason why M&G may have wanted to, to get more into the platform industry. I, I think, you know, back onto technology, the, the biggest challenge for all of us is how we adapt and how we integrate. You know, advisors use a lot of different systems, um, for want of a better word, whether it be their back office system, uh, you know, a cash flow modeler, um, financial planning software, and then they've got a platform or two or three. And how on earth are they juggling all of that? And, you know, I think the average is they rekey some of the information three times, the same information. So I think as an industry, we really do need to get on top of how we integrate better. It's certainly a focus of ours. Uh, and as I mentioned before, we have done a number of bespoke integrations. We are working with Intelliflow. We're looking at the Oregon Integration Hub. And I think that will set some platforms apart from others if they can integrate more fully and make an advisor's life easier and more efficient. Mm. Is that what the kind of what advisors say to use the biggest headache they have when they use technology? The fact that they have to use, you know, one bit of cash flow modeling software another platform, another back office provider, whatever else, there's just quite a lot going on there. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's a range of different things that they tell us is painful. Compliance is definitely one of them or the extra time they're spending on compliance. And we have done some research recently and advisors actually say most of their time, if, you know, they split up their day, is spent on compliance and admin. And, you know, actually seeing clients is only about 28% of the time. Um that's probably not ideal. I don't get the impression that's where advisors want to spend their time. So I think compliance, but that admin and operational efficiency is where technology and integration can absolutely help them. Um, and that is, at, we, we've been doing some testing on this and definitely it's a strong feedback point from the advisors that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And just back onto the, the platform market itself, I mean, do you think that, because obviously you're kind of talking about 
you know, there are some smaller players out there and how sustainable kind of their futures are like long-term um, given the scale of other, the size of some of the other players. I mean, do you think we'll see, do you think that COVID might kind of accelerate consolidation? Do you think it might kind of inc increase kind of conversations around smaller players kind of joining bigger ones? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that the recent industry data, which you might have seen, demonstrates or shows that the last quarter was still relatively positive, but you would say that that's been driven as well by tax year end. So I think we'll see over the coming six months whether there has been a significant impact on the, the net industry flows. Would COVID accelerate any plans that a platform might have or a, or a parent platform might have i would say yes absolutely because it's going to get put pressure on all of us to be you know being more profitable looking for more clients building better partnerships with advisors so i would see that if a platform was looking to sell that covid would accelerate that mm. Mm. that's interesting i mean certainly activity i think has kind of picked up in the last I guess well before covid in 2019 we saw some acquisitions coming through and then, and then obviously, yeah, the, the eccentric deal was kind of a big one a few, a couple of months back. So I guess activity is, is starting to pick up there. Um, um, and, and just on the advisor side of things, is obviously you kind of mentioned how they've reacted to this and to, to COVID and, and how that's kind of changed things. I mean, from, from your side of things, um, I mean, have you seen a slowdown in, in kind of in, in, in advisor activity? Um, during lockdown and, and, and kind of over the summer, how has it kind of changed things in terms of their their, react, their, their dealings with yourselves? Yeah, um, from a business perspective, we have had our best year on record. So from a, um, a gross flow perspective, we were first um, for the quarter and uh, second in net flows and, and funds network, you know, it, it's been an exceptionally positive year from a business perspective. From an advisor perspective, what have we been seeing? Probably the biggest thing is how adaptable that, that their businesses have been. So, you know, they really did, as I suppose we did, work to move to home working super fast um, and pretty smoothly, to be fair. Um, I think, you know, many in the industry did do that. Um, the, the key themes that we've seen from advisors are, many more getting involved in the admin and calling the contact centre and that type of thing. So they're doing more of the kind of um, non-client-facing work themselves. Um, so that's been a bit of an education process too. So we, we, we have had both our account managers and our client service team saying that they're speaking to many more financial advisors versus their teams. Um, and that could be, you know, due to furloughing of staff or, or possibly um, other reasons. So we've seen that change. The adoption of technology has been big, definitely. So you had, you know, asked me 12 months ago, would advisors be using video conferencing to, to speak to their clients? In fact, our research shows that 0% of the advisors we spoke to had, had done, you know, fact finds, cash flow modelling, goal planning, the annual reviews via a video conferencing facility. They were all done face-to-face. -face. And we did this research in January and then in May we, we did it again and it showed how many people had moved to video conferencing and how happy they were with it, around 80-odd percent. But the advisors that had only moved to telephones 
kind of connection with their clients were quite keen to get back to face-to-face, but those that had adapted the video conferencing were quite keen for it to continue. So I think that's one of the biggest changes. Um, And I think it's a really positive one because you can see clients much more. What's become apparent is how advisors feel like they're closer to their clients because they see inside their home, you know, just like we've just seen, the cats can come into the Zoom screen, the kids come in. So it it has been more humanising, I think, rather than just meeting in an office. So there's a couple of big changes that we've seen over the last few months. And I think the also the operational changes, so digital signatures, being able to upload and send, which we moved to quite fast, those two pieces as well are uh, we we won't go back so the industry has changed permanently for the better with those two initiatives Mm, yeah that's interesting and that is a really interesting point about kind of making it I guess it's just people are seeing people's homes a lot more now because of zoom um which is I guess exciting for everyone really in a way um and and it certainly breaks the change from from the office world um but the on the e-signature um, point, that's something that's definitely come up with almost all advisors during lockdown. Um, I mean, I mean you, you guys say you were, you were one of the first to move to e-signatures. I mean, what what's kind of been the issue there? Because a lot of advisors are kind of saying to us, "Why can't everyone do it? Like, why can't platforms just do it do it now?" I don't. We we didn't really understand what was what was the kind of issue there. Yeah. Do you know, do you know what? It's interesting because when you. When you're all united around a purpose that's quite urgent, it's amazing how quickly you can come to conclusions and make things change. And and that's definitely true for us. Um, And I think there was probably some some myths around why you couldn't use e-signatures or digital signatures. And I think once we got down to it and we realised we had to find a solution and you get risk around the table and everyone, I mean, our risk team actually said we're more comfortable with digital signatures than we are with, uh, you know, something mailed in necessarily. So I think there is, I think there was probably some myths around it that held the industry back. Um, There might've been some technology issues that held the industry back. I'm not sure in terms of of others, Um, but it's here to stay now. So it's a real positive, isn't it? We, we, We can't suddenly go back and say, oh, we can't accept that. You need to, you know, send us in a piece of paper that those days are gone. So that's a real positive. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, and then I guess kind of on that point about advisors as well, because um, obviously, yeah, you know, COVID has definitely changed the way they work. And I think your research has, has, has indicated that as well. But I think it also found that 55% of advisors were concerned about their profitability. Um, and certainly, I guess, something that we've heard from other people is that there are concerns about some advice firms and how they're going to be able to cope with it. Um, just wondering what your thoughts on, on that were in terms of if you think advisors... Um, will will come out of this the other side stronger, and and which ones the one will the ones be the ones that might struggle? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, I, the, another interesting stat from that research was the amount of advisors that wanted to grow their business had jumped by about fifteen percent, and I can get you the exact number. Um, oh, sorry. So their plans to grow. Only 48% had plans to grow pre-COVID and now 64% do. So I do think there's been a little bit of a a shift, which is not surprising given the environment we're in around what's the longevity of my business, what's my business model look like. And actually now that profits might be under threat or certainly market-linked revenue might be under threat, 
what changes do we need to make to our business? How do we become more operationally efficient? You know, if I can see five clients a day on Zoom, is that better than me jumping in the car and driving for three hours to do an annual review, et cetera? So I think the ones that will survive this and continue to thrive will be the advisors that are willing to adapt and understand that there are different ways of doing things and, in fact, this crisis has driven us to them and we've found that it's actually not that bad, all these things that we might have thought would not work properly. Um, but I do think advisors will probably struggle if they they want to go back to how we have done things because I, I think there's a happy medium. You know, it's not like you never want to see a client again. We miss everyone as well. We want to see people face-to-face. But the role of technology and Zoom and, you know, your digital signatures I can't see us moving back fully from any of that. So I think advisors that are are embracing the changes and can work out how their businesses can operate with them will be the ones that will thrive. Mm. Mm. And I, I guess, I mean, it's more for the advisors themselves, but I, I guess a, a challenge that we've heard from other people is um, while I guess the Zoom world has been really good for building ongoing relationships and kind of catching up with their existing clients. Some some have struggled to get new clients on board in terms of convincing someone or telling, or, you know, getting a new client um, via Zoom to invest their, you know, two million pound pension with you yourselves. Um, is that a challenge you picked up from uh, the advisors you've been speaking to as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That is where the concern comes from is for those that do want to grow their business and actually grow their client base. How how do you get people comfortable when you don't kind of sit in front of them and, and see them? Um, so that is a concern. If, if we are not able, um, you know, in the next few months to get back to seeing clients face-to-face or getting people comfortable with that, I do think the advisors that are looking to grow and looking for new clients or, in fact, those advisory firms that are quite good at acquiring new clients, that will be a struggle for them. And it's interesting It's interesting if this continues longer, whether people might be more comfortable to do it as it does become more normal. I think about us onboarding new staff and you would never think, how do you onboard someone, train them, and you've never actually seen them? not even for an interview in some cases, you know, it's all done by Zoom or, or video conferencing. But I'm with you. I don't think if I had two million pounds to invest that I'd probably do it over a Zoom conversation or two. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe more maybe one more than one Zoom conversation might be required perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe over a few months you might build up that relationship and feel more comfortable. Um, brilliant. And then I guess looking at some of the other research that you guys did, I think some of the other things we noticed was interesting. Um, firstly, was that you found that um, 47% of advisors were now more likely to recommend ESG, I think as of May, so obviously, you know, in the middle of COVID. Um, and then also 16% of advisors are now less likely to re- recommend passive funds. Um, so I guess kind of two trends there, um, I guess towards active and towards ESG um, yeah, I mean, what do, what do you think is kind of driving that? Well, well, you know, I suppose if the market is tracking down, um, there is an argument to be made as to why you would pay to, to do that and not look for some form of active return. I think the challenge will be, and I've spoken to advisors about this, is if you have switched to a passive investment proposition, 
either fully or, or part and you've done that because of cost, it is going to be very hard, I think, to convince your clients to pay more for active management. You know, kind of once you've gone down, it's quite hard to, to go back up. And the ESG one, I'm not surprised in this environment when there's so much more focus on, you know, the world, what's going on, you know, balance in life and that type of thing. It doesn't surprise me at all. And we did see that trend definitely starting to accelerate over the last couple of years as we've been doing our our leadership events where we sit around um, with some really great advisors, you know, only 15 or so in a room and more and more asking us about ESG, sustainable investing, whatever you want to call it. That's part of the problem, by the way, that we don't have some kind of, you know, I suppose a, a, just a, a terminology that we all use. So yeah, it's kind of, a unified terminology or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think the Investment Association are saying responsible investing. Um, so maybe I'll stick with that. Uh, I think the challenge for us as an industry, and I do think platforms have got a really strong role to play here, is you know helping clients because what do they mean when they ask for something from their advisor? You know, do they know truly what they're asking for? Then how do advisors navigate it? And then how you know what tools do they need? You know, how does how do platforms help with that? Putting portfolios together, perhaps, or or just helping an advisor talk it through. Um, and then we've looked at some tools as well that help the end investor actually engage via the fund manager with the underlying investment that is in the fund uh, and, and, you know, help them influence, although they don't have a direct vote. Uh, so there's lots of wonderful things out there. And I think we've just, we're just starting on how we help advisors with their clients around sustainable, responsible investing whatever you want to call it. Whatever. Yes. I think I just said I'm going to stick to something and I totally changed it within a minute and a half. No, it is a big problem though, isn't it? Because, you know, people are using different terms and they mean different things to different people, I suppose. So until there is that unified communication around it, it's hard to know, you know, what it is that really and, and it, what kind of clients and clients, advisors, fund managers, platforms, what they want out of it. So I guess it needs addressing, but... Um, but it's difficult because it's a challenge because I guess there's different, you know, you've got the investment association for fund managers, um, you've got the platform, uh, trade body, and, and then advisors on, on the other hand. So I, I kind of uniting all those different parts is, is a different, difficult ta- task, I imagine. Yeah, I think you're right. There, there always is. And I've had different conversations with people who say there's no role for platforms, it's just the investment manager. Um, and, and I don't think that's the case. But but as an industry, uh, this is not going away. It, it's not just a trend. You know, sure, COVID might have put some extra focus on it. It might have accelerated it. But it was happening anyway. So we do need to, for, for the benefit of everyone, for the end investor who's interested as well as the advisor, um, platforms and investment managers do have a role to play in helping facilitate responsible investing. Yeah. And on that uh, cheery uh, and significant note, Jackie, I think that, that draws us to the end of our podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been fun and I've enjoyed seeing Millie. Millie and Arthur, the cats have been running around. You can't see them. Yeah. They've been- running around all over me during the podcast, making it difficult for me. So thanks to them and thank you all very much for listening. Thank you.